I napped while Carla drove back to Detroit from our meeting with Trudy's mother. When she pulled to a stop in front of my building, I woke from a dream I attributed to the shitty beer headache. Me screaming at Carla for dragging Trudy to the brink of a possibility that had never really existed to anyone but her. Hey you, we're home. When Carla tapped me on the shoulder, I suddenly got an unsettling feeling that I again tried to brush off on the ice house. But somehow, I already knew. And the music. We heard it as we'd made our way up the stairs. Trudy, open up. Carla banging on Trudy's door and screaming her name while I unlocked my apartment and went to look for the spare key is what keeps haunting me. How I could tell Carla knew, too. Trudy, open the door. It was like the air in the building had been displaced somehow. Trudy. Like it knew there was one less person living inside it. Trudy. Carla was still banging on the door as I crossed the hall from my apartment with the extra key Trudy had given me the last time I saw her and slid it into the lock. As soon as the door opened, Carla flew across the room and knelt next to her. We found her staring blankly across the room, her face a mask of obliterated pain. Eyes wide, arms dropped at her sides, body lolling against the couch, needle in her arm. We knew, but we still went through the motions of panic, hoping what we thought we knew was wrong. And that goddamn music... While Carla sobbed and rocked and pulled Trudy's head to her chest, I went from room to room until I found a CD player in her bedroom and punched buttons until the noise stopped. For some reason, it was imperative I find out what she'd been listening to. Maybe so I'd never have to hear it again. Maybe I was going back to the living room because I didn't want to attach a face to the sound of the heartbreaking moans that didn't stop once I killed the music. I pushed a button and the disc tray ejected, but because I was shaking so badly, I nudged it with my thumb and it went back in. The song started again, drumming in my ears louder than before. I can't explain what caused me to break down or why I yanked the plug from the wall and threw the thing on the floor then bent down and physically pried the disc tray open and yanked out the disc. I could see it was a homemade CD. Probably music she pirated from somewhere. Or maybe not. Maybe I was just thinking anything I could think of to distract me from the scrawled handwriting across the disc that said how to disappear completely. It wasn't until later that I realized I must have subconsciously caught a glimpse of the title, or at least the word disappear, when the tray opened the first time. Maybe it was the handwriting, clearly feminine, slanted a little to the left, and curved downward to follow the circle of the disc. Maybe it wasn't her writing at all. But the haunting sound of the song as I'd climbed the stairs causing the skin on my arms to prickle to goose flesh. Carla banging and calling her name, opening that door, seeing Trudy with her open eyes staring blankly. All of it mingled together to form a haunting siren song. 
mind is a funny thing. It puts the sensory pieces together based on input. But what it comes up with depends on your perception of any given situation. When you're not ready to accept the literal stimuli, the brain has a way of mixing it all together into a slushy mix of half-truths. You can't make an addict want to be sober, Carla. It was hours later. We dealt with the police and watched the coroner's people zip Trudy into a bag and remove her body from the apartment. We answered questions, avoided looking at one another, and, at some point, found ourselves alone in the apartment, wondering what to do next. What I said was in response to Carla's repeated inner monologue that kept coming to the surface as she paced and smoked cigarettes from the pack left on Trudy's cardboard coffee table, pacing and mumbling while I stood against the door and waited for her to wind down. You don't mind letting people die, do you, Morno? She said it quietly and without emotion, so coming from Carla, it made the statement particularly unsettling. What? I wasn't sure I heard right. Letting people slip through your fingers. Doesn't seem to do anything to you, except maybe send a ripple or two across the surface. How do you stay so controlled? Interesting she chose that word, because I was suddenly experiencing a complete paucity of control. The anger was so visceral, I could feel the roots of every tooth as I worked my jaw muscles. Letting people die? You think death asks permission to cross your threshold? Like those newfangled vampires you're so goddamn fond of watching on the TV? That popular culture has romanticized death to such a morbidly obscene level is truly awe-inspiring. There's nothing romantic about death. Sometimes it's arbitrary, like cancer. And sometimes we invite it in with the goddamn choices we make. I turned around and opened the door, thinking it was a good idea to put some space between us before I said or did something I'd regret. You're saying she wanted to die? Carla lunged across the hall and grabbed the back of my shirt. I swiveled around to face her. God damn it, woman. Haven't you figured it out yet? Why Trudy turned on that shitty music and stuck a needle in her arm? Because death was more appealing than anything life had to offer. That's something you should damn well respect and not pity. She went out on her own terms. That can't be anything but crystal clear to anyone with the stones to see it for what it is, instead of what it could have been. Stop making this about you. Is that what you want? You want to die more now? Is that it? Carla followed me into my apartment and slammed the door behind us. Her entire aura was a rainbowed mix of exasperation and anger. Red, orange, and yellow with swirling smoke-like gray waves. I've seen death, Carla. That's why dying doesn't scare me. Real death happens to the living. Bodily systems shutting down isn't death. That's life. I went into the kitchen and grabbed a bottle, thumbing off the cap and taking a swig. When she ripped it out of my hands and slung it against the wall, it shattered, sending glass and scotch all over the place. You're so fucking full of shit. 
You sound like a goddamn bumper sticker with your real death happens to the living. She added a couple of obnoxious air quotes to my bumper sticker wisdom before planting both fists on her hips. Go home, Carla. I won't do this with you tonight. I'm not in the mood. Oh, you're not in the mood. How convenient. There were more words, but I couldn't make sense of them. I pushed her up against the refrigerator and covered her mouth with mine, more out of a need to stop whatever she was saying from being said. What followed was a coupling more brutal than anything I'd ever want to associate with her, but may well have been what we each needed at the time. As our bodies tired from all the harried movement, clothes strewn around the floor amid the glass and liquid, and all that was left was the act itself. I lifted her off her feet clumsily and dragged her into the bedroom, away from the harsh light and sharp angles of the kitchen. As soon as we fell onto the bed, she climbed on top of me. Everything that happened after had nothing to do with me. Carla shut her eyes tight and brought herself to wherever she needed to be. A climax born out of sorrow and emotional supplication rather than pleasure. It was one of those moments where you're left with an uncomfortable feeling about what had transpired, like a nauseating aftertaste. I rolled that taste around in my mouth for a long time as the sweat dried, and we both silently lay there, staring at the ceiling. Eventually, Carla said, What did you mean when you said those vampires I'm so fond of? How would you know what I watch at home? At least this conversation felt like safe territory. I spent a few nights listening to that crap while surveilling you after you stomped out of the office in a huff. Why were you surveilling me in the first place, then? If you don't care about death? Because I assume you were out there skulking in the shadows trying to protect me. Why do that? Why go through the trouble? If death is so arbitrary and saunters in as she pleases... I hate when she twists my words back on me, and suddenly she's making more sense than I've previously given her credit for. A conversation with Carla requires too much attention to detail and a lengthy enough discourse that by the end, I'm in need of liquid nutrition. I elbowed myself into a sitting position. I need a drink. Carla put a hand on my arm and the look on her face said she needed me to stay where I was for a minute even though her quiet retort was a pithy one. A swift kick in the ass, that's what you need. I slid back down and Carla turned away from me, but scooted her body against mine. I slung an arm over her shoulders and pulled her toward me. We'd both been trying to keep the banter on a level that didn't devolve back into anger and recrimination. But all that was left was sadness, because our friend was gone. I knew Trudy was probably a lost cause way before either of us met her. Yet, she was our friend. And now, she was no more. Who do you see about that? What exactly do you do with it? The person who figures that out. The person who bottles something that can turn off all emotion attached to an individual as soon as they take their last breath. That person would own the world. It wasn't until much later that I'd think about this again. After I ended up at the meanwhile late that same night, 
once Carla made her excuses and left my apartment. After she showed up there, probably at Muggs' behest, and tugged me out of the bar, after we were kidnapped and taken to the Florida Everglades, and were again forced to deal with the remains of another life cut short, and the memories that went along with it.